Welcome to the Humans of Nutrition podcast brought to you by Nutrition Talent, a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. I'm Dr. Danielle McCarthy. And I'm Anna Wheeler. This podcast delves into the world of nutrition to help unlock ideas and collaborative action so that everyone can thrive. We are delighted to welcome two guests onto the podcast today. We have registered nutritionists, Dr. Laura Wyness and Lynn Burns. You may remember Laura from our Christmas party episode. We really enjoyed talking to Laura and so we've invited her back on along with her nutrition partner in crime, Lynn, to tell us more about their recent venture, the publication of their book, Eating Well for Menopause and the expertise they have amassed in this critical area of health. Laura has a really strong background in combining research and communications, and this has been evident in her career to date, from research roles with the University of Aberdeen and Trinity College Dublin, to her role as Senior Nutrition Scientist at the British Nutrition Foundation, to name but a few. Laura has worked in a freelance capacity for eight years. Lynn began her career with the UK government. Her work included managing government-funded research on bone health and healthy ageing, very relevant for her work on menopause. It also included working on national diet surveys, developing food composition data and nutrition policy. Lynn began working as a freelance nutritionist in 2011. She works on a wide variety of projects, including working with school meal providers. Nutrition and menopause has become a key area of focus for both Lynn and Laura in recent years and both work directly with women, helping them improve their health through and beyond menopause with the food they eat. Laura and Lynn have collaborated and published several ebooks and online courses, some of which we will hear about today. Well, it's delightful to have you both here and what an incredible team. Um, and, and yes, you've worked together now to publish a wonderful book called Eating Well for Menopause and have such expertise in the area. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to this area of nutrition? Um, well, thank you again for having me on. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of happened quite naturally, really. I, I met Lynn uh, quite a few years ago now uh, with, it was just a, a fellow freelancer reaching out to another fellow freelancer um, over LinkedIn, I think. And we had a few online chats uh, on Zoom before it was even trendy to talk on Zoom. And then finally we met for a real life coffee when Lynn was visiting family in Edinburgh. Um, and we've done little bits and pieces together. Uh, we started helping each other on bits of work and, and uh, things like that. And then we noticed that we were getting asked quite a lot of questions on menopause from our clients and they were looking to know more about what foods to eat more of or less of to help them with symptoms and maintain health at that life stage and when we started looking for this science to answer the questions we kind of found that there wasn't really much readily available and there's quite a, a gap in the data um, which is something that I don't know if you've read the book Invisible Woman by Caroline Criado Perez the Invisible Woman, it's a really good read and it kind of identifies just how much of a gap there is in the data uh, on women and a lack of research uh, on women. But anyway, um, we wanted to kind of provide that science information to women and answer all their questions that they've been asking in a kind of practical way. So giving them tips on foods, because uh, it's all very well known the nutrition science, but how do you put that into practice is also really key. So that's how we kind of came about to write in the Eating Well for Menopause book and uh, all the resources that we've been working on to kind of support our our clients and women and also health professionals who are also working with women um, as well. So hopefully we've, we've done that. Yeah, it all started as just to be a little leaflet, little pamphlet, and it yeah. just grew and grew and we found more and more and more information and, and then other health professionals were asking us to share it too. So it really was, it was, we started before the Davina McCall whole thing opened up. So it has built over a bit of time. So, Yeah, and that's brilliant that, you know, you've got that because certainly it's, um, yeah, I guess the attention it's, it's got recently is, has increased massively, which is great. Um, but I guess, you know, for, for all of us and, you know, in, in a profession that is dominated by females, um, it's also something that, you know, as part of our careers, we will at some point want to, to consider. So it's great to have you both on today and, and 
help teach us more. I know often we, we talk to people about on the podcast about their careers and also their personal experiences. And I think this is something that will resonate personally with so many of our listeners. It's absolutely fabulous to have you on. I guess in terms of that kind of upfront question, it's between you, can you tell us three things about the menopause our listeners should be aware of? I think one of the things that is so important, the conversation has really started and it's keeping that conversation going and, and, and carrying on being comfortable about talking about it. I think it can be really hard for women to pinpoint that it's happening to them because midlife can be very crazy so there's lots of other things going on in your life and it can mask what's going on and I think we have two things happen with the with the opening of conversation one yes I'm not feeling myself so I will ask the hormonal question and, and ask about menopause but there is a sort of contra uh, thing that happens oh I know so much more about it I know when it's going to happen to me I'll recognize it and actually very often women don't so it's that 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 keeping that conversation going and and, and allowing it to be a comfortable conversation is so important um and then another one i would say is definitely the the heart disease one which is something that kind of surprised me when i was looking into it that heart disease is often thought of as a man's disease but it's really important for women to think about their heart health and especially around menopause as well because um when you hit that menopause stage the one or two years just after menopause your cholesterol levels can rise quite notably and of course there's no signs or symptoms generally of high cholesterol or high blood pressure which can also sometimes rise around menopause and diet changes just a smooth a, a few small diet changes can really make a big difference to getting your cholesterol and, and blood pressure um, managed so um, I think that's really important and and actually I was just looking at the recent stats on from the health survey for England data published just last year and it shows that 77% of women aged 45 to 64 have raised cholesterol which is I mean it's it's huge wow it's almost huge. eight in ten women at that age group so yeah know your numbers get them checked yeah and I mean that's that's advice we should be giving to people all the time isn't it yeah. um, men and women I think that's yeah. definitely something that has come a little bit more to the fore that it's not only a men's disease but certainly not enough so that's definitely some yeah. practical advice think, we can we can offer you, people when you look at the numbers of, of, of the, that heart disease actually kills more women than breast cancer mm. and people are really stunned at that because people talk much more about breast cancer and it's not to diminish the severity of breast cancer at all but just how people are so unaware that it does actually take women's lives and and, and many of them so I think that shocks people quite quite a lot I think yeah um, I think yeah, those are really hard-hitting stats and facts absolutely you know it it really gets your attention so that's great because you've got so much more to tell us about and um and yeah I just can't um, I, I know with different friends coming to me, you know, asking different questions, it's just so helpful to have a signpost to go to because there is so much information out there. And, and isn't it crazy that there's so much information out there? And yet those facts are, are certainly new to me in terms of, you know, that timeliness of that rise in cholesterol. You know, that's that's a real point of focus in terms of intervention. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. We, we need to make sure we don't forget to ask you what the third point is. What, what's your, your third point that we, we would, should share with our listeners? It, it's the gut health um, point um, and really yeah. eating more plant foods, lots of fibre-rich foods and supporting the microbiome because the microbiome has so many important roles to play in health and so many of those things are linked to menopausal symptoms as well. So um, it's, it's, it's connecting to mood and it's connected to sleep and it's connected to heart health and it, it's it it's it's that that message really is so important that one thing can have such a powerful effect to just eat more plants yeah. okay yeah it, it actually really surprised me in a presentation i i joined the other day to see the the full list of menopausal symptoms and there were so many things in there that i didn't realize were were symptoms so mm. that that breadth that you've just highlighted even you know thinking about heart disease and and gut health in in the same sentence you know they're, they're in a way quite different so yeah that's that's obviously vitally important for us all to consider and I, I think that's that that point about there's so many different symptoms 
and they can affect everybody so differently. And then with life going on as well, every woman's menopause is going to be very unique. Mm. And so we're talking about menopause and it kind of, maybe it kind of standardizes things a little bit, but sometimes Mm. lots of little things together is having a significant effect, but it's very hard to pinpoint what those things are. And and that's quite an important thing to to say, I think. Okay. and one other fact that I learned recently, which I didn't know, was that, and, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, but <laughs> menopause is actually not a five-year process, but actually, by definition, one single day. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a single time point. And we, we, we talk about menopause. We actually probably mean perimenopause, and peri means around menopause, but mm. menopause is that specific time point when you've not had a menstrual period for the previous 12 months. Right. Um, so if you get to 11 months and have a period, then you kind of go back to day one again. And okay. so, yeah, it's a specific time point. But right. Well, that was certainly something I, I wasn't <laughs> aware of previously. So, yeah, fascinating. Thank you very much. Um, and then if we go on to talk a bit about some of the specifics, um, I'm really interested to understand what the different nutrient requirements might be um, for women going through the menopause. Obviously, you've, you've mentioned a few things there around gut health and cholesterol. But are there any particular nutrients we should be upping or anything in particular that we should be considering? I think it kind of remains the same. Yeah, it's, it's a big question. Yeah, the, the nutrient requirements uh, in general remain the same as, as adults. Um, but everyone's different and the body is going through a big change. So I think it's a really good time to consider your diet and is it still giving you the nutrients you need at this life stage? Um, everyone's different as I say for some women calcium may be really important and might be worth increasing especially if you're um, potentially at risk of osteoporosis if you've got a family history for example so that might be worth considering Um, but generally we we should be able to get all the, the nutrients from healthy varied diets there's nothing specifically for menopausal women although that might change in the future yeah, I think we need more, more research. I think there is, yeah, more research in, in women in this particular age range. I, I do think, though, that if you are not maybe eating as well as you might be, then that you might, because uh, there's the, this, because some symptoms seem to be connected to certain nutrients, if you're not getting enough of something, you might fear that, you know, by just making an improvement at this life stage, improving that you're, the way you're eating, you might feel the benefits more. There might be more benefit tangible benefit by improving your diet um making some improvements to lifestyle you actually you know that that there is there is something something to be said for that okay um and and daniel and i were were just were chatting ahead of this this conversation and we were saying that our our mums have sworn by various different ingredients my mum um it was soya milk for danielle's it was evening primrose oil is there anything in these you know you could call them old wives tales you know what what is what is the reality and and particularly around supplements which i think is an area that i, I expect a lot of your clients ask you about uh, definitely yeah. definitely <laughs> i think there are so many menopause uh, marketed supplements out there and in terms of the ones you mentioned if you're if, if you're talking about your your mum's uh, the, the, the soya thing definitely there is there's it's pro- proven that soya foods having them daily um it might take a few weeks to feel that feel the effects but if you're um, affected by hot flushes and, and night sweats that by inc- having soy foods in your diet and, the, and the, the phytoestrogens that are present in them can help to 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 um, reduce the severity and maybe the frequency of them and that's that's been shown in in in, in studies um I think people get a bit worried about that because phytoestrogens and, and cancer, breast cancer. But the 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 scientists, the consensus view is that provided you're having soya foods and the uh, phytoestrogens are coming from foods, there's no risk at all and it's absolutely safe and fine. So and there's there's so many. It, it doesn't have to be soya milk, which I remember tasting years ago and it, it was terrible. It's got so much better now. But there's so many other soy products that you could be including in in your diet. And I think I think. 
I've become a bit of a fan of edamame beans, I have to say. Yeah, they are fabulous, aren't they? Delicious. And they're so easy. A frozen podded edamame beans and throwing them into things like you might do frozen peas or making a really nice hummus or something with with them is is great. Oh, that's a good idea. I've never tried that. That's um, one to add to the list of things to try. That's really nice. And and as for the evening primrose oil, that's quite widely used and it's very well tolerated for lots of people. So, you know, people wanted to try it there's there's no risk in try, trying that so the evidence is is maybe insufficient if it's how 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 effective it is in terms of the evidence behind it but um i don't know if you had to add anything on on, on that and or other evening primrose oil and it's rich yeah, in oils uh-huh. essential the, oils the evidence is kind of lacking as as for i suppose most herbal supplements really but um it's as you say it's well tolerated by most people so if you are suffering from menopausal symptoms it might be worth trying but again if you try it and it doesn't make any difference then stop taking it you know don't take more so yeah (laughs) i think sometimes it's like oh well a little bit is helpful maybe i'll I'll take i'll take more and actually that's it's it's probably not going to work so 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 don't i think i think the other supplement is that's very popular at the moment i certainly hear a lot of people talking about it um in, in my circle of friends and, and is, is magnesium and i think there is if, if your magnesium is low then then magnesium can be helpful with 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 sleep because it's important for the production of melatonin and, and serotonin um and there may be a role to play if you've suffered from restless legs um if, if it, levels are low and it might help to reduce it but I think it's one of, again one of those things. Once you're sufficient in it, more isn't isn't going to help. And and at higher levels, it can really upset your stomach. So I, I've I've known people to be feeling rather ill, and it's sort of anecdot- an anecdotal story. But it basically turned out that she was taking magnesium in the form of a menopausal like multivitamin and then taking a magnesium segment on, on top of it as well and then it, she's actually not feeling too great and so yeah being careful about those things is really important um, yeah and, and that's a really good message actually around supplements i know again anecdotally but you know the people that we've spoken to it's not always the case that more is always better and that you know and i think that that's a really important lesson from an economic point of view as well as anything else you know pains for out for some of these supplements can can really impact the, the cost of food bills and we know that's a challenge for so many at the minute but it's it's really important that it's it's effective and that you're noting a difference um yeah so thank you very very insightful i shall go back and report back to mum that maybe there is a change in the uh, in which in which would be most suitable so um i heard you both speak actually a meeting last year on the subject and i found it absolutely fascinating um the area that you were talking about in terms of um, how the menopause can potentially have an impact on women's abilities to live independently in later life. Um, and I understand this can be around hydration and urinary issues. And I know when I sort of spoke to Anna about it, Anna was like, oh, really? You know, it really fascinated me how you brought that point home. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that, because I think our listeners will probably be very interested. Yeah, it was certainly something I heard a. Uh, a woman's physiotherapist talking about the subject um and that there's this sense that having a bit of a leaky bladder and having bladder problems is just part and parcel of being an older woman and if you particularly if you've had children uh, and that women on average will wait about seven years with symptoms that would that could be bothering them and making their life uncomfortable and, 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 and inconvenient before they go and ask for help and I, in my younger years, I was diagnosed with quite a severe bladder condition and I was just horrified that people were living with some of the symptoms. So I know exactly how bad it is and nobody talks about it. People don't, if, if we don't talk about menopause, we talk about, we talk about incontinence and things even less. Um, and, and basically what's happening is the, is, is as the hormones change, our pelvic floor slackens. And that's true even if you haven't had, haven't had children and it varies between women. Um, but it also affects the membranes too. So we talk about vaginal dryness, but that's actually also it's, it's affecting the urethra, it's affecting the bladder lining and things too. And that makes the the it makes the the lining more sensitive and and, and more easily irritated. And if that if those tissues are irritated, that's what causes urgency. So what you kind of can start to see is that you want to go to the toilet more frequently you may be getting up during the night to go and empty your bladder Um, you might be um, 
you might have more a sense of urgency so when you need to go it's like I really need to go and I really need to go now and as well as that maybe a bit of stress incontinence so that's when you might be jumping on a trampoline or 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 or, or have a laugh or a cough or, or, or whatever and in the early stages it's, it's just an inconvenience and most people just manage it and it's not a not yes it's something we don't talk about and, and manage it but as it gets worse um uh, and we start to do things such so as change our behavior which makes complete sense intuitively but actually it makes things worse so if you uh, are worried about being caught short or getting up during the night you will you'll drink less but then you may not be then um meeting sort of, uh compensating for the fluid intake somehow so you're likely to be more dehydrated we know that dehydration can aggravate lots of other of the menopausal symptoms but also by being dehydrated, the urine's more concentrated, it becomes more irritating, and so then the frequency problem becomes worse. We go more frequently, so, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere, I'll go to the toilet before I leave, or I'll just go again just before I leave, which is really quite a common thing. That increased frequency actually makes it worse as well. So the very intuitive thing that we do to cope is actually making things, things worse. And running to the toilet, it's, it's okay when we're in our 40s and our 50s, but when we get to 70 or 80, when we're talking about post-menopause, we're talking about life long after, um, and long after menopause, that's where people fall and, and, and maybe break a hip and things like that. So so incontinence is associated with with falls and, and, and things like that. But if you... <laughs> but it, it just blows my mind because it's in fact it, it kind of connects to so many things. If you are suffering from incontinence, are you going to walk as far? you're not going to walk as far if if you are worried about like having an accident are you going to go to your zumba class you start to do less activity that affects your bone health and your muscle strength your fitness your heart health um it can make you it can it can make you very isolated you don't want to do as many things as you want to do and 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 that's that's why it can have such a massive effect on 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 people's quality of life um, wow that is that is fascinating as you say from from one area that we don't talk about and and try and deal with ourselves and manage ourselves actually by going out and getting some advice in terms of what can we do about those incontinence issues if if somebody's suffering from them then that could help i guess put a a barrier in the way of many other challenges that might come and hopefully our long healthy lives and um, post this phase so um those are really yeah it's blew my mind again to be honest in terms of where from something that we just don't talk about we can end up with lots of other major issues in life you know and I guess you know as, as an independent woman I want to be able to keep that independence and there's Absolutely. something that from our own physical health is really really important by being open and having those conversations and just this idea that we go oh that's just what happens when you get older there's nothing you can do about it so people are not going and asking and Mm. nine times out of ten it can either be cured completely or managed so so well that it ceases to be a problem people are waiting seven years before on average that's on average that could be a lot longer than that yeah people are waiting that long silently managing it yeah, hopefully that's one yes. thing that will yeah. come across from from people listening to this podcast you know go go and ask for help but I yeah. I guess kind of I, I want to know you know what what can be done about it you know you said nine out of ten times this can be fixed is this through medication or so is it through exercises it depends on it what work? the cause is but yes um the pelvic floor exercise is absolutely vitally important and and um, women physiotherapists can can really work with women to, to 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 solve that problem and very often after a six or seven week course of of, of, of physio a, a lot of the problem can be can be taken away um if you have an overactive bladder there's medication that can control it um there's uh there's, there's and there's other i mean i had a, a very specific bladder problem and, and there was there was treatment there's other treatments i think i went through all the treatments you can possibly have to solve the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and I, I, actually what it turned out to be was an underactive thyroid but there we go um th- there's so many things that can be done and i think what's really important is if you start to notice that your bladder bladder is giving you problems it's to keep a diary and that is so it took a long time for me to get a diagnosis because i was going and having a conversation about it 
but it was actually quite hard to explain. But if you have a diary, it, it, and you just keep a record of how often you need to go, whether you're having to get up during the night, um, if there's any pain, if there's any, um, you know, if you if you don't make it, you know, just noting how much you're drinking, and and then you can show someone because I remember that was a real key point for me, putting the diary down in front of my urologist, and he went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and that's how things led to have my, my diagnosis. So that, that, that information is really useful and it's really important if there's blood in your urine, you really do need to see somebody very quickly because that can yep. be an infection and that, or that can be something more serious. But. Oh, thank you. That's brilliant to have that real practical advice. So hopefully all the women listening to this will tell their friends and something, will, you know, something good will come of it. Um, one thing I'm hoping we're not scaring off our listeners we are going to come to some more positive points shortly um, but obviously you, we've mentioned a few different symptoms one of which being poorer sleep um, and there's obviously a connection between the menopause and, and poorer, poorer sleep that's more than waking up because of hot flushes can you tell us a bit more about that connection please yeah absolutely so I mean menopause has as you say, a direct effect on sleep because the hormone changes um, can disrupt the sleep-wake cycle, and and also melatonin, which um, melatonin production kind of decreases with age in both men and women, but more so during the menopause uh, in women. And estrogen is really useful for helping reduce that time it takes you to fall asleep initially, and estrogen is useful in increasing the total sleep time. Um, so with a drop in oestrogen, your sleep can really suffer. And in some women, it is quite a common symptom, sleep problems. Um, but also menopausal symptoms, of which there are many, can also impact your sleep as well. So night sweats uh, obviously keeps you awake, increased anxiety um, prevents you sleeping or increased trips to the toilet during the night or restless leg syndrome, which is uh, quite a strange symptom it's like that crawly creeping sensation just underneath your skin that you have to move your legs to get a bit of relief from it um restless legs is actually i think about 15 percent of adult women suffer from restless leg syndrome and Gosh, that's a big it, number yeah and it's more common during menopause and actually in the third trimester of pregnancy um so there may be a nutritional link so it's worth checking magnesium levels vitamin d levels and iron levels um just to see if if they're adequate um but yeah so obviously there's a kind of cycle as well so poor sleep if you're not getting enough sleep over a long time then that can exacerbate some menopausal symptoms so the fatigue obviously tired the next day mood swings it, lack of sleep can increase anxiety or raise stress hormones, possibly blood pressure, um, and impact appetite and therefore weight. So there's a yeah. kind of circle um, of effect, cause and effect going on. So mm -hmm. sleep is a, a really important one to try and manage if you can and make sure you're eating well to help um, help sleep as much as possible. And do you have any sort of practical suggestions for that in terms of, you know, what what can we do to help with sleep? Yeah, so lots yeah. of, yeah, different things. Well, in the main, I'd say Mediterranean style of diet has been shown in studies to be really useful for help and support sleep. And generally it's because of the plant variety, lots of fiber-rich foods. Again, it comes back to gut health. So yeah. your gut microbes help produce serotonin, which is needed to make melatonin. And so there's a link there with good gut health and good gut microbiome diversity um, can help with sleep. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, like the, um, I like the geeky bit of information that we kind of discovered about how um, having a protein food containing tryptophan with something carbohydrate then the carbohydrates seem to clear the system of a lot of the other amino acids so the tryptophan which you really need for the melatonin is more available and 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 actually that's maybe why we get this idea of milky drinks before bed because you have the lactose in the milk and you have the tryptophan in the milk as well and and maybe that's why one of the things that 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 helps with that but 
and then there's other things we can think about as well. It's like thinking about caffeine. When when did you have your last caffeinated drink and switching to a non, non-caffeinated version or some kind of herbal tea or a rooibos or something like that? Things like, um, you know, there's a lovely sleepy feeling after having an alcoholic or having some alcoholic drinks, but actually the quality of our sleep is, isn't as good. So we might drop off, but it's not a sleepy yeah, sensation. Yeah, that's something that people don't know. I... I um... I told that to my dad just the other day when he was getting a rather large whiskey nightcap. I was like, do, do you know that might be affecting your sleep? He had no idea. So no, it's, it's yeah, all of these little bits of yeah, useful pieces of information, even if he didn't really want to hear it. And, 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 <laughs> and it's also things like, you know, how, how close you have your last meal and, and before you go to bed. So having a good couple of hours from your last yeah. m- proper meal and if you're feeling a little bit peckish then something like some oat cakes and cheese or something something that tryptophan carbohydrate mix but just something small and, and light so you don't wake up hungry if you you know if you are beginning to feel a bit peckish before you go to bed but rich food as well so the richer the food the bigger the gap between finishing your food and going to sleep because that's is more likely to, ha- to to have and then it's all those other sleep hygiene practices like you know just turning the lights down a little bit turning off the devices maybe doing something that's relaxing so I mean I like to do a bit of crafty crochet knitting type things or I like to read um with some nice music or whatever there's there's things we can do to just help tell ourselves it's time to go to bed um and I suspect the main one being like you say switch off those devices which we were all guilty of but yeah put them put them away far from the bedroom turn them off yeah 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 okay so moving on then from physical to mental health we know there can be difficult symptoms like brain fog and difficulty concentrating talked about anxiety there loss of confidence and self-esteem um and these could have serious consequences for women in the workplace um and i guess i'm really passionate about that in this in terms of we don't want midlife women to be seen as less capable in any way at all so what can we do you know nutrition talent is an all-female company um, we work, as I said before, in a female-dominated profession. But what can we do to support each other um, and, and make sure it isn't the case that we ourselves feel less of or indeed that there's any stigma that's attached to this phase of life? You know, massive question <laughs> for you. It both. is a massive question. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but simply by having us on your podcast and showing how important it is to you and how passionate you are about it I think that's a massive thing in its in itself because you're obviously thinking how important it is to have this open supportive conversation and 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 creating an environment where people feel women feel that they can be open I think one of the things being able to say that something is hard or there is an issue you can find a solution for it and the easier it is to raise that, that's, that's, that's the key thing. If, if you can talk about menopause in a very matter-of-fact way, without fuss or fanfare, then if there's something needs to happen, it's easy to ask for it and, 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 and respond to it. And, and that experience plays, it plays out. And it's just something like it's something simple as, as having in a meeting in a situation and knowing that it's okay if you just slip out if you need to because you're suffering from a hot flush or you need to use the bathroom but you've briefed your partner in in, in that meeting that that might happen and it oh yeah yeah it's no problem as soon as you take that stress away it's easier to manage if you're sitting there worrying about whether or not that's going to happen and how to deal with it if it does if you actually make an, a, an arrangement and you can do it with so many things and as soon as you relieve the stress that's really helpful so that open conversation is is really really important um, and I think it's really key to I think brain fog and, and difficulty in concentrating and that sort of executive function thing is not a sign that you've lost your ability at all. And so it's just it just might mean you need to have more structured conversations about work plan. You might have to externalise things a bit more. You might need to find some different ways of working. And if you've got support to do that and managers that help you do that, then and also remind you of the contribution you have to the company and everything mm. and um so they don't lose their self-esteem and i think that that's it it's, uh, and we can do that as colleagues and we can do that as uh, you know um in lots of ways 
I think that's really important. Yeah. No, that that's really interesting. I can, you know, draw back to time when I was actually pregnant, you know, and, and you're being accused of having baby brain and things and, and it does make you feel sort of gosh, do, like is that that and then you can feel yourself attaching things to it and you think, well, actually did I could I just not remember something? Um but I think that's a really important point in terms of making sure the value add is still openly expressed as well as, you know, any additional, you know, tips as to, you know, how you can work in a different way under different circumstances and indeed support other people whenever they're in different circumstances um mm. i think that's that's really good advice lynn thank you for that i think it's important for everyone to be well informed and, and no matter mm-hmm. what age you are or you know male female in the workplace it's good for everyone to have a good understanding of you know how menopause can impact um, exactly. women what are the symptoms and also there might be a variety of different ways that you can make sure that the workplace or people in the workplace feel supported. So not everyone works in an office, for example, you know, from, you know, might be working on the factory floor or shift workers. So making sure and asking staff what will help you, um, you know, deal with or manage the symptoms, you know, what can we do and involve staff in the solutions? Because um, it might be something simple like, changing the office temperature or changing the uniforms that they wear or having flexible working patterns or reviewing workloads or types of work so there's probably a combination of different things that might work in different aspects so making sure it's inclusive um that support is inclusive of everyone or every role um and yeah building up awareness um i know some companies well there's obviously a, a bit of a push at the moment for corporate companies to you know support staff um and i have been working with a few in the past um i don't know if i can name any names or uh, i suppose it's a good example um of baxter story doing a lot of work for their staff um they were doing a considered their kind of menu options in the canteen uh make sure it supported menopausal women they increased awareness among staff so there's workplace talks going on they did a podcast on menopause and and nutrition and and different aspects of menopause and they really worked hard to you know figure out what can they do to help their staff um in different ways so um yeah it's been interesting to see what different companies are doing and the steps so there's lots of positive steps that are being taken um at the moment which is good that's so great to hear because obviously as a, a female-dominated profession, I imagine we will talk to each other about this when the, the time comes. But obviously, it's not just us. It's the men in our lives um, and the men in our companies that, that need to understand this as well. So it really, yeah. you know, the fact that it's, it's happening in the workplace and this education yeah. is going on for everyone, I think, is vital. Yeah, yeah. and I was and pleasantly surprised by one of the talks I did. Actually, there's a lot of men in the audience... Um, I mean, all staff were invited to the nutrition and menopause talk I gave, and the men were asking a lot of questions, which is really nice to hear, um, and yeah. very good questions as well. So, Excellent. yeah, went down well. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Even you know, it's it's thinking about those interventions that happen, you know, and and what a great way of of being able to influence those food environments around everybody in the workplace to make them healthier. That yes, yeah. the benefit is for those. At the, at the menopausal stage of life but equally we know that, that actually what, what you're saying has moved towards those healthier choices which ultimately is going to hopefully help everybody no matter what stage yeah. of their life at least try and test some different meals um, maybe be inspired by something you know maybe that's where they have their first Adam maybe being you know yeah. it, it's those sorts of things that that can really have an impact in lots of different ways for lots of different people um, so you know this could be a a new signpost in lots of different ways for everybody but well, yeah know, to, even just you know, this, i think there's so many um life points and, and and things that happen in life where flexibility and understanding uh it, it can be so helpful and it it isn't just menopause it's so many other things and if some of the learning we can take from something that's had this real sway real positive sway can actually be translated into better conversations about other things as well i think uh, i think there's there's a, a lot a lot could be learned from it so oh 
And that, that leads on so nicely to my promise that we would talk about the positives a little bit more. Um, and I absolutely loved in the des description for your book, you talk about that it's an informational and empowering guide. So with empowerment in mind, which I absolutely love, um, what can we as women do to preserve our health during this time? Are there a, I know we've talked about a few things already, but is there anything else that we, we haven't talked about yet that we, we should be doing or starting to think about? I think the main thing is, is I think educate or, or inform yourself learn more about menopause how it impacts the body because there's so many different ways it can um, there's over 40 menopausal symptoms but around one in five women have very few symptoms um, but even if you don't have any symptoms it's a good time of life I think to consider you know are you still getting all the nutrients you need is your diet still supporting you so generally plant-based Mediterranean style of, of diet um, is, is a good foundation uh, but I think overall as well is be kind to yourself you know your body's gone through a lot probably at this stage of life and practice a little bit of acceptance as well and it is a time of big change your body is going through a huge change um, and it's a time of life to put your health in focus and, and make changes or make even just small changes that will help you feel well and, and healthy. Um, so putting yourself first um, in terms of health for a while. So, yeah, I think that would be a, a main message, I think, as well. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's a time where there's a, for a lot of women, this time of life is actually a really positive time of life. And 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 it, it like like Laura was saying that it affects everybody so differently. Um, I think it's really important actually for those women who, who don't act, who aren't affected very much by the symptoms. They're less likely to do the, some of the things that will help with their heart health and their bone health and everything else. And I think it's, it's, it, it can be, it, 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 how, it's, how it's changing in this open conversation is so, so empowering. And hopefully we are a generation now that, is going to ultimately be able to to address some of the issues that are there much more quickly and much more positively and with much more support so actually um it the hopefully the book is a is a window to some of that um as well and you can bring your family along because most of the things in there are just health healthy healthy things um it's not like uh, we're not it's not like a diet book just for menopausal women everything in there the whole family can have so hopefully it'll inspire family to to eat better too yeah yeah it sounds great and and we'll obviously put links to to where people can can get the book um on the show notes so absolutely and and i guess because humans of nutrition podcasting you know, we, we kind of want to look at and this has been brilliant in terms of you know those fact shares and information shares and, and really value your openness and, and sharing some of those details and um yeah it's definitely encouraged me to to read more and and i shall pick up a copy of the book and, and give it give it some um deep consideration i guess from you from your careers perspectives you know you're now published authors you know how did that book come about how did you move from leaflet to um published author and have you got any advice for any budding you know wannabe authors amongst our listeners yeah well oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a story go on then laura it's, it's been a <laughs> it's been a huge learning curve i can say that um yeah we kind of started writing a few pdf ebooks initially and that um ebooks kind of provided a bit of information and some tailored recipes the first one was a recipes for recovery book which um, we now uh, offer for uh, we're trying to raise money for Maggie's charities. Uh, we offer that one for free, um, and we've done a few other ebooks as well. And and then, as we said at the start, the Eating Well for Menopause book started from a little pamphlet and then went into a kind of ebook. And we got lots of kind of nice comments from people about it, wanting a hard copy of it. And we're like, oh, okay, that means publishing it like properly like a book so um it it did take us a while of um chatting to our mentors and um in the guild of food writers and i have a mentor there and the after quite a few chats and confidence building um and speaking to other published authors which i would i would say ask around and, and seek advice and the 
advice I got from like Anita Bean, fellow registered nutritionist and very successful published author. Um, she was kind enough to give me some um, tips and advice and other kind of self-published authors uh, who we spoke to who gave great advice. So do some research and um, there's lots of different ways to publish as well. There's many routes you can take, whether you get an agent and go down the publisher route or um, or self-publish or we did a kind of hybrid version of self-publishing but we got um, in indie authors they were called to had kind of hold our hand through the process of self-publishing so that made it a bit easier because there's so many things to think about when you publish from buying the ISBN numbers to how do you typeset it and Cover and then photos, and, and then photos. If you're doing, yeah. if you're doing you know, recipes like the photos, uh, yeah, oh, that's, that's fun though, isn't it? Food photography—that's really fun. Yeah. It takes so much longer than you think, though, doesn't it? Well, that's why we yes. ended up getting someone to do that for us because yeah, it was amazing wise, having wise. having a, prop, a, a proper photographer um, doing that. I mean, they, it just blows away the colours and everything. We get good, we get good feedback on on how the photos just jump out. Um, and that that's that's really good and and that recipe testing that's good that's good fun um discovering yeah. new recipes yeah. and tasting them and sharing them with other people uh and 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 that's one of the things that i, I quite enjoy doing i do quite a few workshops locally uh with the book and 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 the recipes from the book are, are, are the comments i get and i get little photos saying how nice the recipes are and 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 yeah it's it's lovely that's that's really nice and people saying oh how accessible they are and how how easy they are and so, so playing with that and having fun recipe testing that's good you get to taste loads yeah. of things and we, we should say of course the book is is very informative and has got a lot of information about symptoms and, and how to relieve them but then also has got this this practical piece in terms of recipes and and well, we're all foodies at heart. I mean, a lot of us are foodies at heart. So, you know, that, that piece as well is going to be inspiring to, as we say, not just the women, but to, to families and, and everyone. Really. But I would I'd definitely encourage more kind of vegetarian nutritionists and, and um, dietitians to write books because I think it's definitely needed. Um, I'm mm -hmm. one of these people that I'll, I'll go to a healthy recipe book and I'll check the acknowledgements to see if there's a dietitian or vegetarian nutritionist listed there because um, some of these healthy recipe books are not really that healthy when you see the ingredients. Um, so yeah we need more kind of oh, science-backed um, yeah, nutrition and, and recipe books out there. Well, there we very, go. very well done for you guys, you know, being yeah. the trailblazers and, and getting it out there. And I absolutely love seeing that picture of you, Laura, with in water stuns. Yeah, water stuns, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> holding a physical copy of, of your no. actual book. That's really exciting. It was yeah. a, a highlight of my day or year yeah. just seeing that. And, and it's really weird still seeing it in, in, on shelves. Yeah. Or anyone else holding the book. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and we, you've kind of just, just touched on it, and, and I think we better start to wrap up, but we've got so much we want to talk to you about. But obviously there is so much misinformation out there, which is, is, is clearly difficult, but obviously your book is a brilliant resource. Are there any other resources or places that you would direct people to to, to really get some good information about this phase of life? Um, the... Well, the, um, the Balance app is really good for yeah. like tracking symptoms, and there's some really credible websites. Um, uh, got a mind blank at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where else is good? <laughs> British Menopause Society, Society is a really yeah. good website, actually. Um, and there are other... Um, I, I guess always check the source of mm. where the information is coming from, and if... I think menopausal women often are being sold to quite a lot these days as well. There's yeah. been an increase in kind of meno washing perhaps. So just check, is somebody trying to sell you a supplement or a particular diet plan or something? And um, and if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. So just always have that critical eye on, on things and be wary of, you know, is this actually good quality um, advice that you're getting um, so yeah be aware of the source of the information yeah great okay. great tip and so we ask this to all our guests as a, as a sort of wrap up we offer you both a nutrition talent magic wand and ask for if there's one piece of positive change you would like to see happen regarding the menopause over the next 10 years what would that be 
that's quite hard, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, I, 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 th I think there's definitely something to be said about more research being done in in the area um, and more targeted research for women generally. I think that's okay. that's a, a massive a massive one. I think uh, Laura was touching upon that earlier on about the. Uh, um, research and clinical trials being focused more on men and and and, and things um i think that would be one of and your then big I guess things that's particularly more in in this age group as well so obviously we need more research in women but then more women in this age group as well definitely definitely okay um, so it's a call out for more research more targeted research yeah i think there's still so much we don't know about menopause and nutrition and how nutrition needs change during that stage of life and you know what is the best diet or best advice we can give to women maybe there is a gap still um especially around how the gut microbiome changes mm. and we know that the gut microbiome is so important for so many different symptoms sleep and mood and um heart health and all sorts so you know we need that research to inform us to help us give better advice i think in future um so that'd be a a good thing to focus on i think and I, I i really think there's this kind of the the, the target group that we're talking well is there's an awful lot of very aspirational information out there that's very applicable if you have plenty of money or you have some time and there's this assumption that women who are in their menopausal years are going to be have a bit more cash in their pocket and they're going to have they're going to have a bit more time the kids will have grown up and things like that and actually that's not true that women are going to be in all sorts of different situations and if we kind of package the information in a way that makes it unaccessible as oh that that information isn't for me that's not for me i can't do anything to make my life better because that's not my information i think that parceling up the information in a way that's accessible for everyone is really important um and and and, and target it the all this targeting there's an awful lot of things being said about a nutrient because it's important for maybe mental health but we don't know whether that translates directly across to menopause or whether there's something different going you know there's some other mechanism going on so i think it, the claims that are being made um being uh, that would be a magic wand um claims and and uh, marketing that's, a, being that's a big magic wand, isn't it, in, in general? We could <laughs> have a whole other podcast to talk about that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both so very, very much. Um, I think we've, we've certainly both learned a huge amount from you and I know there's much more we, we, we could learn. Um, so just, yeah, massive thank you and, and big congratulations to you both on the book. And, you know, we can't wait to, to see what you might come up with next. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 it has been a real roller coaster, and it's been it's. I still can't quite believe it. I don't think I really appreciate the fact that we're published authors. Sometimes, Laura, yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's been quite it's exciting. Very exciting thing. So yeah, pats on the back to both of you. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Right. Well, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Humans of Nutrition podcast, proudly brought to you by Nutrition Talent. Nutrition Talent is a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. For more information about us and how we could work together, check out nutritiontalent.com.